0: So our message is entitled The Tipping Point. Um, Our scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter 1. We're going to read from verses 17 through 19. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 17 through 19 says, Lord, to do well, Uh, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. our message again is entitled, The Tipping Point and the Crossroads of History. The Tipping Point. Let us pray, Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. Lord, I ask that you make me just a nail upon the wall, Lord, a rusty, sorry nail. But upon that nail, Lord, I ask that you hang a portrait of Jesus Christ. Let Eric Walsh not be seen or heard. Instead, Father God, let us hear a word from the throne room of grace. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. All right, let's get into this. So we start in Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 1. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple." This is the year that the king, Isaiah, finally passed away after being ill for some time. We'll talk more about that in a second. Isaiah has this great vision. Let me give you some background here. This is in the days of Isaiah, at a time when his ministry began. This is how big Judah was. King Isaiah had been dealing with the Philistines and the Edomites on either side. The Northern kingdom of Israel had fallen deeply into rebellion against God. Um, and Isaiah was here preaching down in the, in Judah, primarily in that Southern kingdom. In order to get a good sense of where Isaiah was in time, um, you can see here the ministry of Isaiah. This is King Isaiah. Uh, so uh, chapter 6 verse 1 that we just read is here you see that um and so it starts when jotham is going to take over as king he reigns with his father for a while because as i said his father had been sick and you can see all the other prophets amos comes before isaiah micah is during his ministry nahum and hosea are also contemporaries offset a little bit by the life of Um, Isaiah's, um, And you can see it goes from Jotham to Ahaz to Hezekiah to Manasseh. Isaiah dies during the reign of Manasseh. And we'll talk about how he died here in a second. The book of Isaiah, Isaiah is called the Prince of the Prophets. He was of royalty. um, uh, And so he was a special kind of uh, prophet, very well educated. Hence, um, his book um, is also called the Fifth Gospel. Um, A very powerful book Um, I happen to be studying right now, the book of Isaiah. Um, The Old Testament, 39 books. The chapters about judgment in Isaiah are 39. The New Testament, 27 books. The books of comfort in Isaiah are 27 chapters. you see how 66 books, 66 chapters, kind of overlays and and matches the Bible. After five years after um, Isaiah writes, uh, Isaiah 6 and verse 1, Um, is the time when Assyria begins to really expand. And you see the northern kingdom is eaten up. Those 10 tribes are lost. Judah expands as as it seems to be fighting against those other two kingdoms. And just to give you a sense of Assyria's might and power. And the only thing that was actually keeping Assyria back, as we'll see, was King Uzziah. King Uzziah's work was keeping them back he had made some allegiances he was overall for most of his life a faithful king who tried to serve God and tried to protect Judah and Jerusalem Isaiah 1 and verse 7 says your country is desolate your cities are burned with fire your lands strangers devoured in your presence and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers and the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah." And so Isaiah here, speaking to the judgment that would come against Jerusalem, says that the city looks like a cottage in the middle of a vineyard. or like a lodge in a garden of cucumbers. In other words, isolated, it's besieged, it's surrounded as this is the prophecy uh, that Sennacherib would come and um, uh, surround the city later on, the king of the Assyrians. Um, But he says, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been a Sodom and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. And this is referencing back to when Abraham uh, spoke to God. The Lord was there with him on earth, uh, the pre-incarnate Christ. And he said, listen, if there are 50 righteous in Sodom, will you save it? And he goes 45, 40, 35, 30, all the way down to 10. And if there had just been 10 righteous people in Sodom, the city would have been saved. What Isaiah is saying here is that there was just enough of a remnant left in Jerusalem that Jerusalem was not destroyed. Um and and so this reference is a reference back to the mercy of the of God if he can if he has a remnant and i want to submit to you that in the world today there are probably cities that because there is a remnant of God's people even just a handful of God's people the whole city has been left to survive but what was it with sodom here's the sins of sodom ezekiel 16 49 and 15 49 and 50 says behold this was the iniquity of thy sister sodom pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Then God says, therefore, I took them away as I saw good. I want you to notice the theme in Isaiah and here into Ezekiel of of justice and fairness. Um, There's a lot of talk in the United States right now about social justice and um, you know our race relations which we, we can get into a little more in a minute um but going back to um isaiah chapter 1 um even at verse uh, 17 and in verses seven through 9 you notice that there's this theme about protecting the widowed and 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 looking after the fatherless um and and not taking advantage of the poor that's a lot of what isaiah talks about um there was a rich class in jerusalem that was really oppressing and taking advantage of those that had much less and so when he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah um, in the previous verse here in Isaiah 1 and verse 9 Isaiah is also referencing this truth the truth is that Sodom was Sodom because of its pride it had everything it wanted fullness of bread it was an idol it was idleness because they had so much they sat around did nothing sat on a stoop drank and all this kind of stuff. Um, and she didn't strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were arrogant, haughty. And they committed abomination. Notice abomination is the last thing. All these other things that is mentioned against Sodom are things that exist in Western society today, and in the UK, and in the US, um, and in much of the developed world, and even in the rest of the world now. So um, if we if it wasn't for the remnant, We would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. We would be taken away as God saw good. So, this is a breakdown of of, of the chapters and and what Isaiah deals with in his book. Um, And you can see he goes from the problems with the nation to the problems in their religion, problems in their society, which we were just kind of talking about. And then he talks about the punishments of God. And so, from in Isaiah chapter 5, 1 through 30, he focuses on how God is going to punish. many of the other nations Judah Jerusalem uh, he's speaking to this 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 destruction that's coming Isaiah is pointing his finger at a lot of people as he does these first five chapters he's dealing with everybody else's sin um and when Isaiah dies um Isaiah had hope that through Isaiah true reformation could be made and and Judah could be brought back but when Isaiah dies He's in a he he's, he realizes how terrible things are. Ellen White says it like this in Prophets and Kings, page two fifty-seven: When the people of God are brought into straight places, and apparently there is no escape for them, the Lord alone must be their dependence. Isaiah dies. The people of God are left in a straight place, and this is a time when. Uh, they are they they have a need to learn to trust in God as their only dependence. And let me say this to you, Church: Some of you are going through something right now, and God wants to be your dependent. He wants to be the one you turn to. Isaiah, in his whole book, points out the sin of of Judah and Jerusalem. Part of that sin was they kept thinking the Egyptians were going to come and save them, or some other nation was going to come help them and beat down the Assyrians. And God, it's, you know, teaches them that it is foolish. To trust in men to deliver you, our hope must be in God. Now we'll go back to Isaiah six and verse one. So when Isaiah died, now that you know a little bit more about the background, then Isaiah has this this vision. But let me show you something. Who was Isaiah? So here's a a, a quick glimpse of who Isaiah was. Second uh, Chronicles twenty six and verse fifteen. And he made in Jerusalem engines. This is the kind of king this guy was. He invented invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal, And his name spread far abroad for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. Are you guys getting this? So here was a king who had the ability to use engineering to build engines so that his army of only a few hundred thousand, really like over 300,000, could fight against a much bigger army of the Assyrians and he could protect Judah. There was a lot of hope they had, even in King Uzziah, keeping them safe. He got popular because of this. His name spread abroad. The Bible says, For he was marvelously helped, but something happened. When he got strong, his help stopped because he began to rely on himself. Look at verse 16. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. So he, once he got popular and strong, Isaiah went in, and what he did was he went into the temple and he went in there to make to burn incense, but he was not supposed to be there. In fact, a priest come in behind him and say, listen, only those of the blood of Aaron can do this. He's of the Isaiah's of the blood of David, he's not supposed to do this stuff. And he f- kind of uh, um, is a bit um, recalcitrant, and God strikes him with leprosy in his forehead the very place where the seal of God or the mark of the beast would go. He gets leprosy in his forehead, that's where it starts. Normally, leprosy would start in your distal parts of your body, in your fingers, and toes, and nose tips, and stuff in his forehead. Um, and he has to run out of of the temple. And this is why he has this long, protracted death. He has to hide from the city. So his son has to rule at the same time as he does, as we saw earlier. So when this all happens, Isaiah was, you know, he was was distraught. This was the king that was supposed to help him. He thought would help to bring, uh, revitalize the spiritual integrity of Jerusalem and of Judah. But instead, what he gets is this guy goes against God in doing what he does. So here's the text again. And here, the king Uzziah died. Isaiah is upset that this happened, but when this happens, God shows him himself. He goes into vision in the portico of the temple, and he sees the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. It's almost like God is saying to Isaiah, "You're worried about the king on earth dying, but there's a king in heaven who will never die." And He begins to show him His royal space his throne, how high and lifted up he is, his train that fills the temple. Isaiah 6 and verse 2 says, above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. The twain, with two, he covered his face. With twain, he covered his feet. And with twain, he did fly. So with two wings, he covers his face. With two wings, he covers his feet. And with two wings, he flies. That's the way that the the angels that stand on either side of God, that's what they look like, and here's what they do. The Bible says in Isaiah six and verse three, and they cry, and one cried to another, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory." Do you see that? He, Isaiah keeps speaking to how un, how how sinful and 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 defiled Jerusalem and Judah is. God shows him himself high and lifted up and he and he gets to hear just how perfect God is. That the angels, these powerful angels cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's right, the, the, the angels do this. And even though the earth seems dark with iniquity and corruption, the angels still cry that the earth is full of God's glory. And that's because God is the one who's sustaining life on earth. God is the one who's still driving people to him. He is still in control. The sound of these angels crying, holy, 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 in the heavenly temple uh, is so powerful that the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. The house was filled with smoke. King Uzziah wanted to burn incense. What God shows Isaiah is in heaven, the house is just filled with smoke. And the words are so powerful that even can you imagine how powerfully built the temple in heaven must be? Yet when these angels speak, the door moved, and the posts moved on the door. When Isaiah sees this, when Isaiah sees this, he is he is all messed up. He says, These then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. He says, He says, and I come from uh, and I and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips that's what he says um for mine eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts he says mine eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts powerful when isaiah realizes who it is that he's seeing in this vision isaiah's words are woe is me in other words man i'm in trouble then he says for i am undone meaning i am incomplete Then he says, why is he incomplete? Because I am a man of unclean lips. Here is the prophet who has been preaching all this time. uh, And yet, when he realizes the perfection of the God of heaven, Isaiah says that he he has unclean lips. He says, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He says, so he, he starts to realize, man, we're all messed up in this thing here in Judah and Jerusalem. He says, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. As Isaiah is standing there, like, oh my goodness, woe is me! You know, uh, you know, I'm a sinner. I'm I'm incomplete. I'm undone. My people are also undone. As this is happening, one of the seraphim. Flew uh, flew towards him and he has a live coal in his hand which he had taken with tongs from off the altar and he lays it on Isaiah's mouth and he says lo this hath touched thy lips and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin is purged wow Isaiah and once he recognizes his sinfulness the angel gets the the coal off the altar, and this coal represents the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to help in conversion and in sanctification. And so, this coal comes off the altar; it touches his lips, um, and his sins are let go. Let me tell you something, church. Somebody this week is thinking that they have sinned so badly, they have gone so far from God that God will not accept them. I tell you, take the coals, allow the coals from off the altar to be placed on your lips, and your sins will be purged i know it's difficult to hear you you know sometimes we think we, we're so we're such sinners we're so terrible god could never love us what i'm telling you is that the god of the universe loves you he cares for you and if you are willing to come stand before the throne of mercy and if you're willing to say like isaiah woe is me I am undone. I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes, Lord. I've got character defects. I've got flaws in who I am. My Bible tells me that the angel will take a coal from off the altar and place it on your lips and your sins will be washed away. How does that happen? It's washed away when the spirit of God convicts you and begins to work upon you and you are washed in the blood of the lamb. And I want you to know this church, God is still in the sin purging business, not just for prophets like Isaiah who will go down in history, but for you and I, he still will purge your sin. For Isaiah 6 and verse 8 says also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send and who will go for us? Then as soon as, as, soon as he's purged of sin, God says, wait a minute, who, who am I going to send? Who's going to go for us? And this is the answer Isaiah gives, the answer that you and I should give. Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Church, there is a work to be done. And I've been to England and North England enough to know that you are amongst a very difficult group to reach with the gospel, secularism, humanism, Atheism, evolution, um, the 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 desire for for frolic and for and for entertainment, uh, the drunken stupors, um, uh, the drugs, the sexual immorality have all come in and plagued uh, England and America and much of the world. We 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 have been swept up in immorality and in false ideologies uh, and making it difficult. But let me tell you something, Church. Somebody still got to go. Somebody still gotta go and tell the world just how good our God is. Now watch this. Ellen White says it like this in the Cole Porter evangelist, uh, uh, page 19. She says, when the Lord's voice calls, whom shall I send and who will go for us? The divine spirit puts it into our hearts to respond. Here am I, send me, Isaiah 6 and verse eight. But bear in mind that the live coal from the altar must first touch your lips. Then the words you speak will be wise and holy words and you will have wisdom to know what to say and what to leave unsaid. You will not try to reveal your smartness as theologians. You'll be careful not to arouse a combative spirit or excite prejudice by introducing controverted points of doctrine. You'll find enough to talk about that will not excite opposition, but will open the heart uh, to a desire, to desire a deeper knowledge of God's word. Yes, young people. This is the work that you are called to do, not to compete with people, not to try and convince them that you're super smart in in what you learn and what you know. But it is the work in order to open hearts and have people uh, want to get to know Jesus Christ as their personal savior. That is the work that God has for each one of us to do. Isaiah 6 and verse 9 says, And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. In other words, you're going to go and preach, but understand that they're going to hear, but they're not going to understand. They're going to see, but they're not going to perceive. Their heart is going to become fat, meaning it's going to become difficult to penetrate and their ears are going to be heaven. Their eyes are going to be shut. And he said it. And God said, "Listen, unless they would convert and be healed," Isaiah six eleven. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, "Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate." The lord have removed men far away and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land isaiah says wait a minute lord this is tough you're telling me to go to preach to people who aren't going to convert who are going to seem who are going to be stubborn whose hearts are going to be fat they're not going to want to come to the word lord how long do i preach and no one is converted god says listen what this was going to have to happen the cities are going to have to be laid to waste the houses are going to have to be home left without people in them the land is going to be destroyed and the people are going to be moved far away which happens during the babylonian captivity and there's going to be a great forsaking in the midst of the land god says listen it will be uh the bread as, as he says later in the book of isaiah it'll be the bread of isaiah and the, uh, the bread of adversity and the water and the water of, 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 of suffering that are going to come together um, in order to cause the people of God to change. Let me tell you something. Some of the trials that you're going through right now are because God is trying to develop you. It's character purification. And this is what God wants. He wants us to have the character that Christ had. Ella White says it like this. she says, it is not surprising that when Isaiah was called to bear God's message of reproof, he shrank from the responsibility. he knew he would encounter resistance as he through as he um, as he thought of the stubbornness and unbelief of the people, his task seemed hopeless. Should he in despair leave Judah undisturbed to their idolatry, with the gods of Nineveh to rule the earth in defiance of the God of heaven? Such thoughts as these were crowding through Isaiah's mind as he stood under the portico of the temple. Suddenly, there rose up before him a vision of the Lord sitting, uh, of the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, while the train of His glory filled the temple. On each side of the throne, the seraphim united in solemn invocation: "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory." Until pillar and cedar gate seem shaken with sound, and the house was filled with praise. And then God tells Isaiah this, but yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return and shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak, whose substance is in them. When they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. But God says, listen, church, there will be a remnant. He says a tenth, uh, will remain and that is what happens of course as we as you study on in the, in the old testament but i want you to know as hopeless as things may seem god has a people god is on his throne god is still forgiving sin and that is one of the things that isaiah is telling us here's a little more from the spirit of prophecy this assurance brought courage to isaiah that there would be a remnant he had seen the king the lord of hosts he had heard the song of the seraphim the whole earth is full of his glory verse three he had the promise that the message of Jehovah would be accompanied by convicting power by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, and a prophet was nerved for the work before him throughout his long, arduous mission. He carried the memory of this vision for sixty years or more stood as a, He stood as a prophet of hope, predicting the future triumph of the church. Isaiah ultimately is sawed in half by King Manasseh or at least by his edict. He dies of an inglorious death like John the Baptist. Um, Yet Isaiah is one of the most important of the prophets. And he remembers this vision. And I want to tell you, church, to remember this vision as well. Remember the vision of, uh, remember this vision of Christ um, uh, lifted up on the cross. And then you can also remember this particular vision in Isaiah where um the the king the lord of hosts um is lifted up and uh the whole temple is filled with his glory the whole earth it says is filled with his glory um so i'll just talk to you for a few minutes about some of the things going on here in the states why this passage of scripture is so powerful right now um in america right now we are as you all know and i've seen even the protests going on in the uk um after the the um deaths of of men like George Floyd Floyd, and a young man down in Brunswick, Georgia. Uh, there's a woman also who was killed by the police. And in America, this is really taking over all conversation, even at my job as a physician. Our organization, the, the two different organizations that I work with, both are coming out with statements and so forth in support of um, Black Lives Matter and, and, the, and the protests that are going on. Um, if you study the Bible, Revelation 13 describes the United States um, as, a, as a beast with two horns like a lamb that spake as a dragon. Um, so none of what is going on is really surprising. America's always had this dichotomy of being a, a land of the free and the home of the brave, but at the same time, it could be quite oppressive if you look at slavery and, and Jim Crow and segregation that happened in this country. What I do want to speak to Christians about today, because I have messages on audio verse on some of the other components of this when it comes to race and race relations, um, is how do we respond? Um, how do we react to the things that are going on? Um, like Isaiah in chapters, in Isaiah chapter six and verse one, you can get to a point where King Isaiah has died. And it seems as if the Assyrians are just going to come and take us um, and you're, we're all in trouble. Um, and the, and, the, and as these protests, and it's very emotional, especially for many of us um, as Black Americans, um, as you see these things going on, you can get very caught up in the emotion of it. Um, but I want you to understand that the king is still sitting on his throne. And that he is a king that will one day exact true justice. The justice on earth is always gonna be incomplete, but God in his infinite um, wisdom will one day bring true justice to this world how we react is important i am i you know i was really shocked here in the states to hear people talking about how good it is to burn down police stations and, and and looting and rioting is such a good thing dr martin luther king if you listen to his speech um riot is the riot is the language of the unheard you can you can look that up on youtube or google it um he speaks against all of these things um and there's a reason we were it was he he wanted a peaceful protest, how do we respond as Christians to all that is going on in the world? I mean, on the one hand, we still have this nebulous coronavirus that has completely ruined all of our lives, in a sense. Nobody can travel. And um, there are countries where people are getting fined for going out of their house. Not quite that bad here in the States. That's probably why maybe why we have so much more cases still. Um, But um, So that's one thing. This other side of it is deep. It comes from Matthew chapter 24 and verse 7. Nation shall rise against nation. And the Greek word is ethnos, against ethnos. Um, and so Christ was predicting that there would be a turmoil between different ethnic groups all the way to the end. I want you to get this. Um, but somehow it pivots in Matthew 24 and verse 8. And it says, All these are the beginning of sorrows. And in verse. Uh, 24 and verse 9 says that tribulation is going to come for the church. Something that's going on in all of this, remember, to, to keep the Bible and prophecy first. Something that's happened in all of this is going to pivot and eventually set up for the persecution of true believers. And I will tell you that there is an intolerance of thought that is going on, not just of people, but of thought. And as that intolerance of thought and society can judge you for the way you think, even if it's not a horrible way that you think, if you just think different than everyone else, is beginning to set us up for what is to come at the end. Um, We've watched the Supreme Court here in the United States just pass two things that no one thought the Supreme Court would pass. So we don't know what the Supreme Court would do with anything. We know that there's a strong movement afoot right now, strong, strong movement afoot right now to try and get uh, sunday legislation passed in this country um there's a lot of chatter around that people think that that would solve a lot of america's problems so i i just want you to be aware that as, as we're looking at all of these things that prophecy must be how you put it into context prophecy has to be how you think about all of these different things because that is where we are now we're in the middle of a prophetic um uh tipping point As these things happen, the society is beginning to rearrange. Man's thinking is changing. Some of it is really good. Some of it is very necessary, but where is it all going to lead us to? And are we ready for what's about to happen? As the the world pivots to a world where basically everyone has to kind of agree on certain things. And if your thinking does not match that, as ours may not, because we believe in a thus saying the Lord, if we believe in the scripture, some things are not going to be politically correct. Are we going to be able to stand in that day? Isaiah had to be prepared to stand. He was sent out to fight um, and to preach in a hostile, hostile environment. And it started with him getting the coals placed on his mouth, but then God gave him Listen, you're going to go preach to people who aren't going to hear. They're not going to see. They're not going to change. It's going to be very difficult to get anybody converted. So Isaiah's answer is, Lord, how long? Like, how long is this going to go on? I want you to be prepared, young people in England. There is a great time of change about to happen. Um, As you can already see, the whole world has been shut down for months now. And things are about to drastically change. So I challenge you to see God high and lifted up on that throne. I challenge you to allow God to put that coal on your lips and be prepared to say, here am I, send me. I'll finish with this. I just read a great story um, from Nelson Mandela. After he had become president of South Africa, he asked a security detail to take him into the town so they could have a um, lunch or dinner at a restaurant. When uh, Magiba gets to the restaurant, when, when Nelson Mandela gets to the restaurant, he sees a man sitting at another table, and he's anxious, a white South African, and he's trembling. He tells his guards to go and get the man and have him come sit with him. When the man comes to finish his food with the president of South Africa, Nelson Mandela, and his guards, the man's shaking. He's trembling. He can barely eat the whole time. When he finishes eating, Nelson Mandela sends him away. His guards say to Nelson Mandela, this man was very sick. Look how he trembled the whole time he was eating. Mandela said that man wasn't sick. That man was my prison guard when I was uh, incarcerated uh, here in South Africa. He was one of the prison guards. And Mandela says that when I would ask him for water, he would urinate on me after they brutalized and abused Mandela. And the guards were shocked. And Mandela said, listen, he would expect me now as president to torture him and treat him unkindly, to repay him for what he did. But Mandela said, no, you can't build a nation on revenge. You have to build a nation on on acceptance and forgiveness and of love. And that spirit is a spirit I want to share with you today as we close this out. There's a lot going on in the world, but we as Christians must be looking for healing. We must be looking for uh, unity. And the world needs to look at the Christian church, the Adventist Christian church. And they need to see us racially, um, ethnically, linguistically. They need to see a group that is diverse, but unified. And when the world sees that, They will know that we're different. And Christ said it like this, by this shall men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. The church is to be different in loving each other, um, no matter what is going on. And I'll just finish again by reminding you, whatever you're going through, if you're stuck in Isaiah six, verse one, where Isaiah has died in your life and you're going through trial, I challenge you like Isaiah, look up, look up and see the king high and lifted up, seated on his throne and his veil filling, and his train filling the temple. God is in control. So whatever you're going through, know that he has you. And all you gotta do is turn to him like Isaiah did, and he will take care of you and prepare you for your purpose and the work he has for you as he did for Isaiah. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. I thank you, Lord, for your mercy and for your grace. Lord, I pray in a very special way that you bless um, the North England youth, that the Lord, that they might follow you whithersoever you go. Lord, I pray that we would all see you high and lifted up and seated on your throne. I pray in a special way, Lord, that we would each get uh, coal from off the altar placed on our lips. And I pray in a very, very special way, Lord, a very, very special way, that as the things that are unfolding in the world unfold, that we would never take our eyes off of the prophetic Um, ramifications of it all. So Father God, please, please, please help us to be ready for what is about to come and ready for your soon return. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.